0: Married kids are dismissed for children's church. Thank you, Gary. Children dismissed for children's church. You guys can go ahead. Thanks, Gary. Well, they're moving out, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And what I always tell people... Uh, my kids and in Sunday schools that if you can't find it that's what the table of contents is for that was built for Larry Maynard when I can't find those books so don't be ashamed to look in there and find it if you have trouble finding it it's a small book about five chapters so we'll be in James chapter three today and uh, as we get started what I'd like to do is I'd like to just take a minute just read the passage so that we get the passage in our minds here a little bit and then we'll pray and and move into uh, this message I, I just want to thank you for um, allowing me to worship with you today It's been a long time since I've been here And time just seems to be going by so fast And I always think about it It seems like every time I come here I think about kind of what was going on In my life at that time And what's transpired in the window And, and where I'm at today And I'm sure many of you can, can think the same things But uh, it's a blessing for me to be here with you today I love this church And I love this the people that are in this church. And um, I just appreciate all that you're doing. I appreciate hearing about what you're going to be doing. And it's just really neat to see how God works in and through our lives in many different ways. So uh, this morning, let's look at James chapter 3. Uh, when Trey asked me uh, to come sometime back, obviously he was gracious enough to give me you know, some latitude to kind of do whatever was on my heart. But I really felt like I wanted to keep... He was already in the book of James, and I want to try to keep things moving along for you. So hopefully things will connect uh, from last week, and then hopefully uh, they'll connect even better when he gets back. If not, tell him, don't tell him I was here, okay? <laughs> Alright, I'm going to go ahead and read in James chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in about verse 13. So five verses there, and we'll read this. James chapter 3 verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the spirit. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is, righteous, whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it. Uh, it amazes me as we come together to worship you that your love for us is beyond anything that we can comprehend. It is clear, Lord, today as we stand before you as a, as a fallen people in need of a Savior, Lord, and those of us that have been blessed by you calling our hearts to you and saving us, Lord, that the journey didn't end at that point in time that you have promised to continue to do a work in us until the day of Christ Jesus, that we are on a journey. The journey is different for each one of us, but it's a journey that you promised to complete. And I thank you, Lord, that every trial that comes into our lives is a means of grace. And it's a means of showing to us, Lord, how you are working and that you are moving us towards a dependence upon you. And I just pray, Lord, today that this message, that in spite of me and the mistakes that I may make or improperly, that through your Holy Spirit, the perfect teacher, that you would teach all of us today from your word. And I just pray that we'd be faithful to worship you today as we come to call this worship to you and to bring glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. I was just sitting here thinking a few minutes ago that uh, there was a lady named Elizabeth Uh, some years ago. She had 13 children and would say a, a challenging life, but you would never know it by speaking to her because she never, ever complained. No matter how hard it got, how slim the money got, or whatever adversity happened, She would shed the tears, but she would never complain. She would never stop reading her Bible. She would never stop kneeling to pray. And Elizabeth had thirteen children, three of which died within their first year as infants. And then she had several sons and daughters, a nice mixture. And among those, several of them died. One one son's name was Clyde. He died at seventeen. Of heart problems at 17 years old. And then another son uh, was killed in Korea. And never did, was able to get his body back to the States. Uh, The letter, still had the letter uh, from the president explaining the um, disappointment and the heartache of losing his son. It was very young. There were many other tragedies and things that came throughout the life, and that 17-year-old Clyde uh, had a little boy next to his bed when he died, and that little boy was the 13th son, who was my dad, and his name is Larry, and Elizabeth was Elizabeth Faye Maynard, she was my grandmother. And I spent a lot of time with Grandma Maynard for many reasons. His mom and dad were working and things like that. And I was just reflecting on how she was so faithful. So faithful. I can remember after my grandfather passed away and she moved out of the big house into the little house and spending time with her. I had no idea as a young boy. The only time her TV came on... Was to watch Billy Graham. Maybe a soap opera once in a while. Okay. But she was pretty faithful. And. Every morning when I would wake up at her house. She would be sitting at the kitchen table. By herself. their cup of coffee. And she would be reading. Just reading scripture. Writing things down. Reading scripture. At night. I would go to bed. She'd tuck me in. She'd go back to the kitchen table. She'd sit down reading scripture. Another hour. And then once in a while, I'd get up enough courage to get up out of bed, sneak in to see what she was doing. And in her late 70s and 80s, she would still be going into her bedroom, kneeling down. She had a little light by her bed, turned a little light on. She'd kneel down by her bed. And I'd walk in, and she'd be on her knees, just like this, just praying at her bed. And the thing that I didn't realize about my grandmother was how much wisdom she had. Why did she have so much wisdom? Where did it come from? Through all the years. I can remember once in a while she'd get that bony little finger out and you just hoped it didn't hit you in the nose. And I saw it more times than I wanted to. But wisdom, very, very practical. Where does it come from? I think as we think about wisdom today, obviously that's what we're talking about. We're going to be talking here, here today about James's, you know, let, let, a little background here on the book of James so that we've got a good understanding. It says, when a, What a turnaround, you know, from the day when James told his half brother what to do if he wanted to be known publicly, full of unbelief and convinced that Jesus was nothing more yeah. than his eldest brother. James told Jesus to take his disciples and go up to the Feast of Booths and to do his works there. Jesus might have found more disciples there, but James wanted to, was not to be numbered as one of them. At least not until Jesus rose from the dead. He lived with Jesus his whole life, had no idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, how would you when you're playing and doing a lot of the same things growing up together? It wasn't until the resurrection when James realized that he's the Christ. It is him. Sometime before AD 50, I'm sorry, convinced at this point that uh, from that point on that Jesus was the Christ, James would lay claim to this physical, would not lay claim to the physical relationship that he had known his whole life. Read that again. It says, convinced from that point on that Jesus was the Christ, James would lay claim not to his physical relationship to Jesus, but to his spiritual relationship as a bondservant. Of the Lord Jesus Christ James became a pillar of the church A leader of the council at Jerusalem A friend of Peter and Paul But most of all he was a friend of Jesus A covenant friend For whom he would be martyred around AD 62 Very interesting when you think about James and he's putting together this letter to the church To the believers And when you look through the book There are several themes In the first chapter you probably have already talked a about Perseverance The second chapter is a lot about faith. And then the third chapter that we're in, as you saw uh, last week, restraint. Restraint would be the word I would use. Restraint in regards to the tongue for each of us. And then today, he's talking about restraint in regards to wisdom. We're going to get into that here in a minute. The fourth chapter is about submission to God's will. And that fifth chapter has a lot to do with patience. An excellent practical book. Of letters That James has written to the church I think when we look in chapter 3 We find that this letter uh, of restraint from James To the believers or followers of Christ uh, Was for those in his day And is very much applicable today He began by talking about restraint And warning of the tongue And now he's uh, teaching us to know the difference Between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom So that we will restrain from falling into a trap Of a counterfeit wisdom it is very applicable today in order to help us to live a life that is influenced by the wisdom of Christ. In James, in here, in these verses, he talks about earthly and heavenly. When you think about those two things, when we think earthly, we have to think of man. When we think of heavenly, we think of God. When we think of earthly, we think of cultural. When we think of God, we think of Biblical. When we think of earthly, we think of creation. When we think of God and heavenly, we think of the creator. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Things to think about. Okay, so wisdom is important for us. How am I handling the trials in my life? How am I handling the trials in my life? Am I a doer of the word or just a hearer? Do I show partiality in dealing with people? Am I a respecter of other persons? Is my face seen by my works? If not, what should that tell me? Am I a friend of the world? What do I need to do? What should I do? This book defines the true standard of living. and In verses 13 to 18 of chapter, chapter 3, he describes the nature of true wisdom. He defines wisdom prior to giving application. And this letter is a protest against the hypocrisy, against the pretenders who say that they have faith without demonstrating it in works. Faith without demonstrating it works. That can get a little tricky here, so let's see if we can squeeze it down here so we don't get off track. There must be a correlation in our lives as believers. There must be a correlation to what we believe in a pattern of living that's the key none of us are perfect none of us will be the key is, is what is the pattern are we going to fall? sure we are You know, just follow someone long enough follow me long enough and you'll see the stumbling and the falling and the getting back up but the key is, is what is the pattern of life being represented through what this person says that they believe that's key There must be a correlation to a pattern of holy holy living. It's a result of faith. It's an outflowing of faith that comes from our hearts. And we can only change our behavior through the gospel of grace, the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. No program or behavior modification will last. It's an issue of the heart. To change on the outside, we know that we must transform daily on the inside. This is the only true change that lasts. There are many things out there that in society and at schools and in work and different you know codes of conduct. I was just seeing the other day there's an NFL code of conduct for owners. You know, everywhere you go, we've got all these codes of conduct trying to keep some boundaries and structure on things which is needed. But the thing is is that the bottom line, the only thing that truly lasts is when there's a change in the heart. Everything else is a behavior modification. Everything else is, is trying to, to do something that really can only be accomplished through a heart change or a heart transplant. And there's only one way to do that, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is and always will be the only true change that can take place in an individual. That's where it takes place. So the question is, I guess this morning, is is anyone able to fully and perfectly keep the commandments of God? You know, God gave us those boundaries to help us to live lives, not only for worship to Him and obedience to Him, but to be productive, to have a pattern of living that would help others as they're watching us live our lives and to help us not to make mistakes and step on landmines. And the answer is no. None of us are able... To fully and perfectly keep all the commandments of God of ourselves, but there is grace received in this life. And to perfectly keep the commandments of God, for we break them daily in thought, word, and deed, and it's that depraved heart that we battle against in this life. Things like jealousy, envy, selfish ambition. It's a battle that violates the tenth commandment. Do not covet. Do not covet. In other words, do not want something that God has not already given to you. Do not want something that is a good of a neighbor. Whether it be a thing or a relationship or what have you. The tenth commandment describes discontentment with our own estate. Discontentment that flows out of our hearts. It's related to conditions. Envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor. Affections for our neighbor's good. Why is this a problem? Because God is sovereign. And we have to trust in His sovereign rule over every little detail of our lives. That doesn't mean we're not responsible. But it does mean that He is overall in charge of all things. And that's a comfort. Our daily living and life as a pouring out of love towards God and others does not come from a Christian life that lives in isolation. We are to live in the fellowship of the community in which He has placed us. And this is part of God's sovereign will for us to use the gifts that he's given us for the benefits of ministry and to live and grow in the sanctifying process in this journey. When I think about that, I think the church is challenged and purpose to stand in the midst of a world in order to let the light of the gospel shine forth on those around us, both believers and unbelievers. So therefore, in order to function properly in our respective places in James' day and today... The Christian and the Church need understanding, and in James one chapter five, he tells us that in order to obtain wisdom, we need to ask God, and this is prayerful supplication that requires us to abide with Him in a pattern of life and obedience to God's Word. I always think about you know that word abiding, abiding. you know, in, in John chapter fifteen, I believe it's verses one through eight, Jesus is just about to head to the cross. And it's this last moment that he has with his disciples, and they're walking through the vineyard, and that's where he gives the teaching on the vine. And he's given the illustration. He's telling them, "Abide in me, abide or remain, remain in me, because apart from me you can do nothing, but through me you can bear much fruit." And how do you do that? I mean, how do you abide? How do you remain? And I think about that. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't draw from an, a relationship. I can't draw from uh, a relationship with someone that does not exist. It's not just about knowing. It's about a relationship. Similar to marriage, similar to friendships, and all these things. You cannot draw from something that does not exist. And Jesus tells us, then, at that point in time, abide so that the pattern of life is in obedience to God's Word. Well, I think you and I would both agree that the whole world wants wisdom. And there are many ways to find it. You can look on TV. You can listen on the radio. You can read a billboard. You can talk to someone. There's all kinds of places where you can go to find wisdom on anything related to social, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. There's a lot of places to go. A lot of places to go. How do you know when you're getting the true advice? How do you know when you're on the right track? I had a friend of mine that used to, uh, before he got into ministry, he and his family used to uh, do some selling and trading. And they were down in East Tennessee. And down around the Pigeon Forge area, if you've ever been down in there. A lot of tourists come, very touristy area and that kind of thing. And it's just a beautiful part of the country. But as they were selling things, one of the biggest fears that they had was they would run into a lot of counterfeiting. A lot of $100 bills that weren't the real thing. So they would be giving their, trading their goods, getting the bills, only to find out later that the money you got, not only did you did you give up what you were selling, but you didn't get the money that you were supposed to get. And so everybody was all worried about all these different kinds of counterfeits, all these false bills, and it seemed like no matter how hard they worked at getting to know and understand, you know what looks like a false one, so that they could protect themselves, they couldn't keep up with all the different kinds of counterfeits. So there was a guy. That they would go to. He was an elderly man. And they would go to him and they would take, at the end of the day, they would take their bills and they would check him with him. And he would take it and he would just feel it. And he would tell them just by the feel that it was counterfeit or if it was real. And they said, well, well, you know, with all these counterfeits out there, how do you do this? How do you know with all the different counterfeits out there when you're handling a real one, when you're handling a fake one? Because there's so many different counterfeits out there. And he says, it's impossible. I can't know all the counterfeits. I just know what the true one feels like. I know what the real one and the true one feels like. That's all I need to know. Because if it's not this, I know all the others are false. All the others are counterfeit. Interesting illustration that he shared with us about that. As I think about that, I think when you look in, in verse 13 here, And where we want to get some ideas about wisdom And seeking God's guidance here And you look at verse 13 Verse 13, James tells us what wisdom is Very important So he starts out by telling us what wisdom is He says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior His deeds and the gentleness of wisdom So James addresses us And he assumes that we pray to God for wisdom Because he's talked about that in James chapter 1 And the world observes the behavior of the church in the crisis of life. They want to know that whenever the storm hits, do we really believe what we say we believe? In other words, is that pattern of living in line with what we say we believe when the adversity hits? Or do we come apart? Will the anchor hold or will the ship be better? Will we forsake what we say we believe Because things are no longer comfortable Things aren't coming true Like we thought they should or they would I don't know about you But there are many times that we can come into a situation That we never dreamed we'd ever be facing And when you get on your knees And you pray before God about it You're saying Not only did I never dream That I'd be facing this But Lord It's not fair It's not fair It doesn't feel right That you would do this to me That you allow me to be in this situation? Does the anchor hold? Is the faith real that we claim to cling to in this life? What is wisdom? However, James is aware that we are imperfect people. And he gives us direction in case we may be lacking this point in time in our lives. He wants us to examine ourselves because we what we truly believe will be defined by our actions. None of us are perfect. It's a pattern of life that we're focused on. Be encouraged. Be encouraged because that's what this the the name out there is Grace Bible Church. Sweet name, a perfect name, because the bottom line is is that we're all messed up. We absolutely cling to the cross. You know, I heard Beth Moore say, the, "If I say this correctly, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come the same way, and we all need that gospel." We think of our patterning of life and, and being encouraged for this gospel that we cling to. You know, it's probably why James warned us in verse one. You know, not many of us should be teachers. I tell you what; every time I get up here. Uh, Whether it's here or Sunday school or anything. I I am so nervous. So nervous. It never goes away. And you probably can tell. (laughs) So you can laugh if you want to when I laugh. It it works good that way. Okay. But anyway. uh, It is. You know, there's accountability. There's accountability for us. That we can't run from. He says, because... uh, not many of us should be teachers because there's a certain amount of heavenly wisdom and spiritual maturity that is needed in a higher degree of accountability. James connects the term wise with understanding, which means that a wise person has experience, knowledge, and ability and skills. Okay, So here's the difference between you know, this whole thing about knowledge and wisdom. James connects the term wise with understanding, which means that a wise person has experience, knowledge, and ability, skills to go with it. Wisdom consists of having insight and expertise to draw conclusions that are correct. However, knowledge does not equate to wisdom unless it is rooted in God's Word. Knowledgeable people are not necessarily wise, but when a knowledgeable person has insight, that brings wisdom. You think about this so many times. You know, I think about young people going to college and learning to to do their trade, whatever it might be. And uh, four or five years of experience, training, clinicals, internships, and you're gathering all this knowledge about your field and area of, of study. And when you come out of there, you really are an expert in your area. You really are. In my profession, it would have to be teachers. You know, If I want to know... Everything I need to know about chemistry, it isn't going to happen with me. I need to go talk to my chemistry teacher. That's what they're trained to do. But there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Because what happens is, is there's so many things. I can remember my first year uh, in education. You know, I, I had this knowledge and this preparation, but the bottom line was, until I got up in front, there were so many other things that I had not been trained for, and it was impossible to train me for And you get a bloody nose here and a bloody nose there, and you're learning things, and you're making mistakes, and you're growing, and you're gathering experience, and you know what to do next time and what not to do. And that's all a part of the journey. And it's that way in everything that we do. So, knowledge does not equate to that. Same thing would be true in marriage, relationships, as a parent. Young people, as you're growing, you don't, you know, obviously you've learned some things.
1: You know, I've got a daughter going into high school this year. I said, just know that uh, you will learn very quickly the things to do and the things not to do. I hope you learn it quickly
0: because you don't want to have to go to school twice. Okay? So make sure you grab those things. There are things that will be learned in terms of wisdom. In verse 13, he says, not only does he tell us what wisdom is and where we find it, how do we identify it? You know, what are the traits? And James says, if there is a wise person. Let it be known by the pattern or demonstration of one's life in an attitude of humility and gentleness. I think we would all say that we like to hang out with some people who are gentle and have humility and some tenderness about them as they're teaching us and spending time with us. Those are the people that we cling to. I don't know about you, but when i got people yelling and screaming with me, I don't exactly sit down and want to have another cup of coffee. Okay? Sometimes I have to... um, Don't we? (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay. Um, But some of the traits is an attitude of humility, gentleness, and knowing that through God's word, and through God enabling us, through abiding and remaining in Christ, we can have a pattern of life that points to godly wisdom and attain the benefits of a relationship that does exist. James moves on into chapter 14 after telling us about what wisdom is and where to find it and what some of the traits are about gentleness and humility and a life that demonstrates it living it out. In verse 14, he gives us a contrast. Look there with me. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The opposite of a gentle spirit of humility controlled by heavenly and godly wisdom is a heart filled with bitter envy and selfish ambition. In Paul's epistle to Galatians in chapter 5 he speaks of the fruits of the Spirit and he lists gentleness and self-control and the acts of the sinful nature being selfish ambition and envy. And so James is speaking to it here as well. James is teaching this because he's aware of the spiritual condition of our hearts. That we all struggle, that we're all prone to our own fallen, depraved heart and nature. And so he issues this as a warning that as a pattern of life must have an evidence that lacks envy or jealousy and the selfish ambition. And if not, we will be consumed. So he gives a contrast. He's talking about what wisdom is, what are some traits, now he says, this is what it's not. And the bottom line, as he says, in our hearts, it has to do with bitter envy and selfish ambition. Well, James describes this envy, jealousy, as bitter. He gives an adjective to describe, he says, it's bitter. You know, we've all tasted things that are bitter. It doesn't stay in our mouths too long before it comes out. And that's how he describes this. And he points us to the Ten Commandment. He says, you shall not covet. What is coveting? It is harboring, harboring, holding on to a bitter envy that is sin. And being filled with this sin is contrary to the teaching of Jesus, which says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Notice that God's place in our lives is always to be first. You know, it's okay to go to others and, 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 and to talk about things and ask for prayer, but sometimes that can take on a different direction. You know, a heart of bitterness sometimes can turn into a venting Situation That can be a deadly poison and, and he talks about that in some previous verses But a heart that nurtures this bitter envy And selfish ambition Is absent Of heavenly wisdom How are we to live? You know, how are we to live? We better have some understanding About where to go to So then he moves into As he talks about what it is And where to get it and so forth He goes into the next verses, Talking about earthly wisdom And heavenly wisdom So he's laid a foundation, and now he's going to nail it down here. And in verse 15 and 16, he talks about this earthly wisdom. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. Now, if you've got an NIV, the NIV correctly puts the word wisdom in quotation marks to indicate that this wisdom is not genuine. The text describes these characteristics as a counterfeit wisdom. Its origin is earthly, not heavenly. Its peculiarities are unspiritual and devilish. James is using some strong language here, and you notice the descent of the progression. As he lists this out there, he says, Hey, he says, this is earthly, and it's natural, it's demonic. That's what you're dealing with when we're talking about an earthly wisdom, because it does not come from above. The strong language from James makes it clear to the absolute contrast between wisdom that originates in man or creation and that which comes from God, the Creator. Believers. To be wise, a believer prays continually to God in the name of Jesus. This prayer allows for communion, fellowship, and a relationship for a source of heavenly wisdom. However, without faith and prayer, a person can never obtain true wisdom. Therefore, you left with man's wisdom, creation, That is spoken out of the envy and selfish ambition Due to our fallen nature and hearts At the end of the day the bottom line is this There are two kingdoms out there There's two kingdoms From those two kingdoms we form two lifestyles And those two lifestyles Are two means of decision making The two kingdoms are this One is God, one is self That's the battle From self we get Manipulation From God we get ministry from self, we get indulgence in a sinful nature. From God, we serve in love. There's a difference between the two. Those, That's the battle that we are in of two lifestyles and two kingdoms. And the crisis is that we don't love God enough when you get right down to it. The bottom line is, is when I'm serving myself instead of God, the, when you nail it down and you get underneath it all, it's not about circumstances. It's just the bottom line is, is that I don't love God enough. To do this, or to believe this, or to spend time with him and develop this relationship because I want what is good for me. Not trusting in the sovereign God over my circumstances. So these three adjectives that James lists, earthly. What do you mean by earthly? Well, earthly has to do, it's due to the fall since the beginning. Things earthly are present with sin. That is a contrast to God in heaven unless God is present in earthly matters. And then he says unspiritual to these people. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul describes this as uh, the things of God being foolish, misunderstood, and spiritually discerned to a people that, is not, that are not of the Lord. They don't get it. They don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And then he moves it on to say uh, devilish or demonic James is alerting us to the fact that the descending progression is the lie of the devil, the world penetrating or perpetrating the lie. But when we as the church spread this kind of wisdom, that is the most difficult point, and that is the most dangerous place to be. James is giving an impression of the earthly wisdom that was crept into the church through some of its members, and the devil has deceived some in matters of wisdom. How did this happen? Lack of faith, prayer, communion with God, and abiding with Him as we talked in John 15. And then in verse 16, James addresses what truth is. He addresses this truth in verse 16. And he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So what he's saying to us here is that not only is there a descending progression, but these are some of the outward outcomes of what you might discover that might alert you to the situation that you're in. There's a correlation There's a distinct correlation That graphic, graphically uh, puts this as follows He says where You have envy and selfish ambition Where you have selfish Where you have envy and selfish ambition He says there you find disorder and every evil practice You come into situations where there's disorder And chaos Something's not right Part of your ministry may be to help change that Maybe God has placed you in that that situation or that scenario And He's alerting you to help bring order to that God is not a God of disorder He is not about confusion You find yourself in confusing situations or disorder? Just know that's not of the Lord Because you can look at the Bible in Genesis to Revelation And know that there's a perfect plan of redemption And He's laid it out clearly And not one sentence contradicts another It is perfect so the correlation, where, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. One thing leads to the next. It's all about cause and effect. So what is envy? If you want to kind of squeeze it down here a little bit, one commentary says, Envy is a resentful and even hateful dislike of the good fortune or blessing of another. James calls this Bitter. So what is the result of this type of envy? It destroys mutual confidence, destroys unity, devilish in design, and develops into disorder or confusion. And the word of disorder is associated with anarchy, which leads into the next chapter to talk about God's sovereignty and submission and authority to his will. It's a progression. God is a God of order. Again, just look at his word and we see that perfect plan of redemption being played out. Furthermore, selfish ambition leads to evil practices and false wisdom because the egotistic selfish motives bleed through and eventually eliminate our love for God and our love for our neighbor. When we look in verses 13 to 16, there are some practical considerations that you might want might to consider. James is writing to these Christians and he says there are two types of wisdom. There's earthly and heavenly. And there's basically three aspects, practically, how this filters into our lives. One is through individual relationships, one is through our family, and one is through church. In our individual relationships, he says, earthly wisdom is not true wisdom. It puts self above everyone and everything else. When one insists on being first, serious conflicts are unavoidable. You've heard that saying, where, where two or more are gathered in my name, there will be conflict. So, <laughs> I see that in my own family. So, I'm probably the master of that at times, creating chaos. In your family, it says, when we permit envy and selfish ambition to enter the family circle, we will soon find that the stability of the home is seriously threatened. This is good stuff. When we permit envy and selfish ambition to enter the family circle, we will soon find that the stability of the home is seriously threatened. Then the home is filled with tension It causes father, mother and children to become uneasy Diminishing their witness for Christ And weakens their spiritual well-being And it can eventually hurt the church and its ministry The third aspect being the church is the same as the family To find peace in the family and in the church whispering bring about reconciliation by confessing our sins By giving up selfish ambition And by praying for the spirit of God's mercy, love and peace There are things that happen when an individual demands to be first in thought, word, and deed. And James is saying to us, if we harbor envy and selfish ambition in our hearts, and James says, and I know that you do because of your fallen nature. I know that I do. James says, stop boasting about it. Stop practicing it in thought, word, and deed. Pray without ceasing and stop denying the truth. So when we're in a situation like that, we're all going to find ourselves there with with these practical considerations and when we're not moving with God's heavenly wisdom. What do we do? How do we find peace? How do we find peace as individuals, as a family circle, and in the church? And it's all about reconciliation. It's all about reconciliation. It's about love, mercy, and understanding. It's about spending time. It's about building into a relationship. Again, you can't give or draw from something that does not exist. Where of unimportant things become all too important in my life, and I've created conflict with God, and sin enters my life. Verses 17 and 18 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now he's talking about heavenly wisdom. And that's how he leaves us. As he's given us direction. He says, God's wisdom leads to harmony and peace, while human wisdom leads to arrogance and dissension. And the question that I have for myself today is, what kind of wisdom do I have? One of the ways that I can answer that is by evaluating my relationships. Where do I get it? It's a gift from God to the believer who asks, James 1.5. How is it evidenced? How do you know it exists? When we make decisions that are dependent upon and in harmony with the will of God, heavenly wisdom is pure because God is holy. The characteristics of this heavenly wisdom, this purity, James gives us basically three categories of characteristics to identify. This is very helpful. He gives us some nice lists here to say, okay, what's it look like? This is what I want. How do I know when I'm in it? How do I know when I'm not? He says this is what it looks like. The first one is attitude. He said the believer exercises this gift by possessing one self control spirit, temperament that expresses peace, loves peace, all perceiving him or her to be a tower of strength because of God's dominance over his thinking. His or her ways are pleasing and paths are peace. The other part of the attitude is considerate. This person is fair Reasonable, gentle in his or her ways. A third one is submissive. It's part of an attitude. It's a wise person who is open to suggestions, ready to listen to the opinions of others, and willing to accept corrections and admonitions. Sometimes that word, that S word, submission, gets really misunderstood. It's, it's all about love. Do you love someone enough to, to agree with? You? Do I love God enough to be submissive to His will, even when it makes no sense to me at all? And then he moves into he talks about our attitudes, and he gives some direction on our actions. Full of mercy and good fruits, the wise person reaches out to those around him or her, who show mercy to those in need who do not deserve it. Otherwise, it would be called it would not be called mercy. God has modeled this expectation of mercy. Bearing good fruits is a product of a good tree. The third one is decisions. Our attitude, our actions, and our decisions, or judgments. Wisdom is impartial and sincere. Able to refrain from favoritism, yet act sincerely so that a person receives the respect of the, of the commitment which you are lived, where you live and where you work. James is reminding us that it is important to live as peacemakers. We are to avoid strife, promote peace, and in the context of man's teaching on earthly versus heavenly wisdom, this means that righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of bitterness and self seeking. Righteousness will grow only in a climate of peace and brings order to disorder. So, as we close here with practical considerations, I think he shares with us you know, Jesus was a perfect example. Irregardless of what we preach or say we believe, People are going to see how we live. And that will speak volumes. And not living perfectly. But being willing to say, you know what, I've messed up here and I've messed up there. I understand what you're going through right now. Is there anything I can do for you? You could be a total stranger. Make yourself available. Not being judgmental. You know, think about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus brought this to our attention through his rebuking of sin. Yet he still was an outreach to the social and moral outcast of his culture. The prostitutes and the tax collectors. He was a friend. They experienced this love and wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ through his living out these characteristics perfectly. Christ living them out perfectly. Peace, loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. So to bring it all together, I would say James would say to us, he would say, true wisdom has its origin in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it displays the characteristics of Christ in the believer who has received heavenly wisdom. Moreover, the believer reveals this wisdom to everyone who comes in contact with him and her. We must hold fast during the times when we are seeking answers to our circumstances and wondering where is God's provision and protection. Where is God's provision and protection during these difficult circumstances? A quote from D. Martin Lloyd really sums it up well, I think. He says, "A person who is in real communion with God and the Lord, and with the Lord Jesus Christ, is happy. It does not matter whether he or she is in the dungeon, whether he or she has her feet fast in the stocks and shackled." Or whether he or she is burning at the stake, he or she is happy if they are in communion with God. It is not the experience is that not the experience of the saints down through the centuries? So the ultimate cause of misery or lack of joy is separation from God. And the one cause of separation from God is self, not adversarial kingdom.